Well, of course, uh, as you all know, uh, today is a very special day because in a little while we are going to baptize Ethan Little Duel. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about what that means today. Baptism uh, is called a sign and a seal. And we're going to look at that in more detail. Uh, It's a symbol, more than a symbol, but it is a symbol, of Christ washing the soul clean. Even though the Bible doesn't give us the exact mode of baptism, and that's a controversial, as you know, among Christians. We had a gentleman who visited our church for some weeks, loved Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he has a website where he takes Charles Spurgeon's uh, sermons and uh, converts them into modern language. And uh, he uh, uh, has a, a, a wonderful uh, ministry there. And he was with us for some months. This was some years ago. And uh, solidly reformed. The only reformed church in miles and miles, as many of you know. And, uh, but he finally said, well, I can't be with you anymore. Why is that? We hadn't, done, we hadn't had any baptisms. He said, well, I can't be with you anymore because, well, I'm a Baptist. And I disagree with your views on baptism. So he wouldn't, wouldn't worship with us anymore. So as you know, uh, there are, there's controversy over the mode of baptism. So I want to spend a few moments on that. That's not my main point. But God's word speaks of sprinkling and pouring. Such as in Ezekiel 36.25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. And I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. Uh, Isaiah 44. Uh, And Isaiah 52.15 says, So shall he sprinkle many nations, which is very likely a prophecy of Christ's commission in Matthew 28, to baptize the nations. Uh, Verses you are very familiar with, but please turn to Matthew 28 sometimes called the Great Commission. There are other commissions in in Scripture, but this is sometimes called the Great Commission. Um, Matthew 28, yes. If you look at Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission, as an aside, by the way, is often taken uh, by uh, people uh, uh, in a lot of fundamentalists and, and evangelical churches is and they just focus on well go and witness and get a Arminian say get a decision for Christ and then go on to the next person but that's not what it says is it go ye therefore and teach all nations baptize them teach the word again to observe all things whatever I've commanded you so quite often that part is kind of skipped over and just well we got to witness and get a decision for Christ okay that's that's an aside Now, our Baptist brothers and sisters insist on immersion, but the Bible does not insist on immersion. Now, they point to the fact that John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River, 
But that doesn't necessarily mean he submerged people in the Jordan River. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, actually, that would have been very strange uh, to, to the people, to, to the ancient Israelites who were uh, used to the, uh, as, from, as far as we know from the Old Testament time of, uh, that we just went over, God's word speaks of sprinkling and, and of pouring. Uh, it is more likely they stood in the water and John dipped his hand in it and following the Old Testament practice, sprinkled or poured the water uh, on their head, which symbolizes a lot. If you remember from our series on Revelation, what the, what the forehead means and the mark of the beast and the mark of Christ uh, written on your forehead. Not literally, but again, it's a symbolic of washing. Uh, but if someone were persuaded otherwise and they wanted me to baptize them by immersion, I'd be happy to do it. If they asked me to baptize them with a fire hose, I'd be happy to do that too. Uh, the point of baptism, the point of baptism really does, should not center on how much water we use. I agree with Dr. Benjamin Warfield, who wrote, In Jesus Christ we are washed clean of all our sins. He has given us a sign in baptism that our sins are washed away and a pledge, uh, to his, a pledge to his covenant child that we shall be clean in him. Any application of water which will symbolize this cleansing will serve as such a sign and seal. We need to keep our eyes on what matters. It's the sacrament of baptism, not how much water we use. We can't be more dogmatic than Scripture. So now that we've looked at how many ounces or pints or quarts or gallons of water the Lord wants us to use in baptism, let's focus on what's important. Does baptism save you? The answer is no. Actually, Nothing, not being baptized, uh, being a church member, going to church twice every Sunday and Wednesday, or partaking of the Lord's Supper, or having faithful Christian parents, or volunteering for church projects, or giving a tenth or a you know half your income to the church. Nothing you can or do will ever save you. There's only thing that one thing that can save you, and it has nothing to do with you. You know what I said? It's nothing to do with you. Well, what about a decision for Christ? Oh, yeah. There is such a thing as a decision for Christ, but you don't make it. God makes it. Now, from our perspective, we make it. Yes, we make a, quote, a decision for Christ. But the decision is first made by the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Did I ever quote that in a sermon? <laughs> Well, let's look at it, please. It is such a key verse. Put that. Would you remember to put that on my tombstone, please? Ephesians two eight nine. Who remembers how we find Ephesians in the Bible, young young folks? Who remember? I haven't said this in a long time. How do we find the book of Ephesians in the Bible? Remember, there are four four books. Oh, I think I see somebody who knows. She's hiding, too. She's hiding behind Sky. Okay. There are four books in the Bible that have that are sometimes hard to find because we're not sure what order they come in. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, we remember General Electric Power Company. 
That's how I remember them. Maybe you have a better way of memory. But that works for me. What can I say? Okay, chapter 2. There's one thing that can save you. It has nothing to do with you. It's God's decision. Well, how can I say that? So many Christians say, no, it's not God. It's your decision. You decide for Christ. For it is by, verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So faith is the gift of God, and it's through the operation of faith that He gives you, but it goes back to His grace, His decision, His for you. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I, I had a part in my salvation, so I get some sort of little tiny little credit for it. You know, Jesus... Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't quite, didn't quite do it. I had to help out a little bit by making a decision. Well, that's blasphemy, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, whose words, of course, are the very words of the Holy Spirit speaking through him, said in Romans 4, 2, For if Abraham were justified, or if you got trouble with that one, just think of the word saved. That's what we'll do for this purpose. For if Abraham were justified by works, works in the Bible are things that you do, good deeds and things like that. Start over. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. He can say, hey, I did it. Or I got part of the credit anyway. I did something for salvation. You know, Jesus reaches down and, and I reached up and I got saved. But what is Paul saying? If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, going on with the verse, but not before God. See, God doesn't care what you do if you do it thinking it's going to save you. Going on, for what saith the Scripture? Of course, Paul's referring to the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and that was counted unto him for righteousness. Of course, we know from the Bible where Abraham got his belief from God. We just read it. Faith is a gift. Uh, Romans, well, let's look at Romans chapter 4. I've been, whoops, I've been quoting from it. Uh, 9, if you would. Uh, Romans 4, 9. Because this is focusing again on faith. Faith. Romans 4, chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to start, at the, uh, let's see. Cometh his blessedeth then upon the circumcision, he's talking about uh, Jews, only or upon the uncircumcision, which is everybody else, Gentiles. For we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. How then was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Well, what does all that mean? That means that Abraham was called before he was circumcised, before he was baptized, okay, which we're going to talk about in a minute, he received the sign of circumcision, which is the Old Testament form of baptism, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. He had the faith before he was had the ritual. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the etc. In other words, first Abraham believed God, and of course we know first God believed in Abraham, if you want to say it that way. 
First, Abraham believed God, which was God's gift. Then he received the outward sign of circumcision, which Paul says, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had when he was in uncircumcision. God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision, not before, but after his justification, for the purpose of making it plain that justification is by God's decision, called grace. And it is not secured by the condition uh, or conditioned by the performance of any rite or ritual, including baptism. Baptism is the New Testament circumcision. It is the outward sign of the inward spiritual circumcision of the heart. Romans 2.29, circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. Please turn to Deuteronomy 29. Beginning in verse 10. This is Moses uh, speaking to the congregation of, of Israel. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he has said unto thee, and as he has sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day, etc. Your little ones, verse 11, verse 12, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God. Just remember that, the little ones. Just as those, all those in ancient Israel who were circumcised, as we know, were not all believers, all those who were baptized. But not all those who are baptized are all believers. It is not circumcision or baptism, but faith which counts. Um, but the little ones were included in the covenant, as we just read. Since baptism can't save us, why should we do it? Well, praising God can't save us. Why should we do it? Doing good works can't save us. So we shouldn't do any good works, right? No. So because baptism can't save us, there's no argument to neglect it. If we're positively commanded to be baptized, then we should be baptized just as we should praise God or do good works and other things that don't have salvation power. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14. And one of his last commandments was, as we read in, uh, uh, in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So 
if we can understand what circumcision meant as far as we're able to, we can understand in some ways what baptism means. It's still shrouded in mystery in many ways. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Romans 4.11, it's called a sign and a seal. The sign of circumcision, as I mentioned, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which Abraham had when he was in uncircumcision. God's grace gave Abraham circumcision as a sign and seal of the righteousness that God had already given him. As we said, baptism is the form that the circumcision which God gave Abraham in the Old Covenant takes in the New. Therefore, the Apostle Paul called baptism in Colossians 2 the circumcision of Christ. Baptism was called the circumcision of Christ. In Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. We go on, we'll stop there. So the outward sign has changed from circumcision to baptism, but its essence has not changed. They both are a sign which God has given to mark out his people from the world. Now, the seal has not changed at all. It is the seal of the righteousness of faith given to God's people that binds us to the Lord. Baptism is a gift of God to his people. It's not something we do to please him or to earn his favor. It's a gift from him to us, a sign for his covenant people that we're not of the world, but rather we are of the Lord's kingdom and a seal of the faith he has given to his covenant children. That's why baptism is a sign we carry the mark of Christ, not the mark of the beast. Baptism is your mark. It's your mark of Christ. That you have been marked by Christ. And you are not of the beast, not of the Antichrist. So this sign and seal, quite naturally, belongs only to people who are of the Lord. There are no distinctions of race or how much money you have or what your sex is or how old you are, there's one prerequisite that we are the Lord's. It means we're the Lord's. That's what baptism means, that we are the Lord's. What it pledges is that. Now that may sound like an argument for believer's baptism, doesn't it? But it's the opposite. We should baptize infants even though they can't make a profession of faith. Well, pastor... Millions of infants who've been baptized later in life, their whole life they never professed Christ. Hitler was baptized. Did you know that? Hitler was baptized. Stalin was baptized. Well, what did I just say? The sign and seal of baptism belongs only to those who are the Lord's. Obviously, if a baptized person dies 
while rejecting Christ as their Savior and Lord, they were never His to begin with, were they? Their baptism then signified nothing. So how do, are we to know if an infant is of the Lord if he or she cannot make a profession of faith? We can't. But think about this. Is a profession of faith a guarantee that somebody is saved? Is a profession of faith a guarantee that somebody is saved? How many people do you know who've made a sincere or sincere-sounding profession of faith have been baptized and then fell away? Probably hundreds, well, you don't know, but probably hundreds of millions in the history of the world. That's happened. Maybe billions. You know, you probably know people who've said they believe, and obviously they don't. Nobody except the Lord knows who's saved and who's not. A profession is faith is no guarantee of salvation. So, listen please. If we need a guarantee that a person is saved before we can baptize them, then we cannot baptize infants. And we can't baptize adults either. Because a profession of faith is no guarantee that a person is saved. Believer's baptism is meaningless. It's meaningless. If we need a guarantee a person is saved before we can baptize them, we can't baptize anybody. So because we can't know who's saved and who's not, we are called to baptize all who come to be baptized. Adults who make a profession of faith and their children, even those too young to make one. Scripture commands us to baptize children. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse, let's see, 37. Now, when they heard this, and Peter had just finished preaching, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Infants come to be baptized in the profession of faith of their parents. In the parents' hope that this child is born in the covenant and is an elect child of God. If someone who is baptized as an infant later rejects Christ and dies in their sins, does it matter at what age they were baptized? It doesn't, does it? If they die in their sins, what difference does it make whether they're baptized in an infant or when they're baptized in, you know much older it's irrelevant it simply proves they were never the lords to begin with now I suppose if somebody thinks that all infants will go to hell if they die in infancy then that's an argument against infant baptism but if you believe the bible you can't think that Um, if you believe the lord when he says it's by his grace that you're saved in Ephesians 2 if you believe the lord when he says I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion in Romans 9 so then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth but of God that showeth mercy 
in order to be saved. If you believe the Lord when He said John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost while still in his mother's womb, Luke 1.15, he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb, unquote. If you believe the Lord when He says that He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either were born, Romans 9.11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth the Lord. He said, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated As with adults, it's only the infants who are the Lord's who are to be baptized. Let me say that again. As with adults, it's only the infants who are of the Lord, who are belong to the Lord, elect infants are to be baptized. But equally naturally as with adults, all infants that are the Lord's are to be baptized. We don't know who they are, but he does. If they are the Lord's, they have a right to the sign that they are the Lord's and to the pledge of the Lord's holy keeping. Circumcision, which held the place in the Old Covenant that baptism holds in the New, was to be given to all infants born within the covenant. They were born within the covenant of Israel, but not, as Paul says, not all who are of Israel are of Israel. In other words, they're not all, just because they call themselves, they're born within the covenant of Israel, are not saved. Not of God's Israel. But circumcision was given all to be given to all infants born within the covenant. Baptism as the New Testament circumcision, the circumcision of Christ, Colossians 2, 11, must follow the same rule. So in conclusion, every time we baptize an infant, we declare that salvation is altogether of the Lord, don't we? Baptism is a declaration that salvation is of the Lord. If salvation depends on anything we do, well, no infant can be saved because there's nothing an infant can do. But there's nothing an adult can do to be saved either. Paul's purpose in explaining circumcision that we've seen through these many passages was to show from the case of Abraham that salvation is a gift from God and the signs and seals come afterward. Every time we baptize an infant, we bear witness that salvation is from the Lord, that we can't do anything to secure it, that we receive it from His hands as a sheer gift of His grace, and that we all, therefore, enter the kingdom of heaven as little children. Matthew 19.14 Do not forbid the little children to come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to him and pray.